Hello, welcome to Okawa Book Club. So we're your hosts, I'm Dylan. I'm John. And we're going to be discussing the teachings of Riho Okawa. Riho Okawa is a world teacher, master, and CEO of Happy Science Group. So today I'm here with John, and we're here to discuss this book, The Challenge of the Mind, An Essential Guide to Buddha's Teachings, Zen, Karma, and Enlightenment by Riho Okawa. So this book, it's very Buddhist oriented and it gets close to the nature of human beings and the reality of the universe and the laws that govern our lives, as well as like terminology and explaining concepts that are popular in Buddhism. I think you'll be interested to read this book, but before we go into it, could I ask you, John, to read the preface of this book? Sure, Dylan. This book will serve as an excellent guide for those who are longing for the mystical world of religion and seeking a Buddhist perspective as they go through their life's journey. We have entered a new religious age. Now is the time for us at Happy Science to prove that true religion could be compatible with a highly intellectualized society. In these times, ardently reading this book is proof that you are, in this sense, a real intellectual. True religion teaches the challenge and potential of your mind. Its teachings represent the spirit of the Buddha and the essence of religion. This book invites you to explore the infinite heights of a wisdom appropriate to our times. When you understand that practicing religion is synonymous with becoming the forerunner of a new era, you will have reached a higher perspective from which to look out over a whole new world. Together, let us take on the challenge of the mind. Hmm. All right, let's take on this challenge. Powerful start to the book. <laughs> right. So that's a very interesting phrase, the challenge of the mind. And I was really considering it because the book never clearly says this is the challenge of the mind. It's almost like written between the lines. And as I was thinking about this challenge of the mind that Riho Kao asks us to take, it had me think, firstly, that about this phrase which you mentioned, that true religion teaches the challenge and potential of your mind. So one of the challenges is to unleash our true potential as human beings. And to do that, we have to know who we are and what our purpose is. And this book really tells us what kind of beings humans are, how we are from a spiritual perspective, and then our fundamental path of enlightenment that we are destined to walk down. And as we walk down that path, we approach Buddha closer and closer. So essentially, that challenge is a challenge for all of us to approach Buddha down this path of enlightenment. And also, you know, another point of this book, I think, is to really show us that Buddhism, over the last 2,600 years since its origin, there's been some mistakes that have arisen. And that has led the author to really clarify in a very direct tone. A lot of these mistakes, point them out, and then show us how to fix that problem. So if you are someone who's interested in Buddhism, I highly recommend reading this book to really understand like what is Zen Buddhism? What is it about? What is karma? What is our mind? What is our soul? And learn these fundamental answers so that you'll be able to understand Buddhism from an easier perspective. Yeah. And also just from the most accurate perspective, I mean, because the, these teachings are presented really just as Shakyamuni Buddha presented them, except tailored to the contemporary age. I mean, so every, everywhere between Shakyamuni Buddha and uh, Master Kawa, the teachings sort of became watered down and they took on characteristics of different teachers that 
weren't necessarily true to the original. So we finally have come kind of full circle. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely correct. So going into the book, it's actually eight chapters. And I'm just going to read the names of the chapters very quickly. So first we have chapter one, the law of cause and effect. Chapter two, what is Buddha nature? Chapter three, the essence of Zen meditation. Chapter four, transcendental wisdom and forgiving love. Chapter five, the benefits of an egoist perspective. Chapter six, practicing the philosophy of the middle way. Chapter seven, enlightenment and spiritual powers. Chapter eight, what is karma? So going through these eight chapters, it's a very concise way of presenting a lot of answers that are provided in this book. I think everyone who is interested in Buddhism wants to know these answers, and they study a long time to find these answers. But the book really clarifies them in very simple and easy to understand phrases and paragraphs. So just to ask you, John, so I know you've read this book. Is there anything that really stood out to you or comes to the front of your mind when you think about the teachings inside of this book? It's hard to pin it to one thing. I mean, <laughs> there's so many points and they all kind of do come together. You know, one thing I, I really appreciated was early in the book, uh, it's written that something that separates Buddhism from most other religions is that in Buddhism, you and Buddha or God are one. So we're not separate from the most high in the spiritual uh, hierarchy. And whereas most other religions, it's like there's God and then there's you. You might be made of clay or bones and things like that. And I, I, I feel like there's sort of a devaluation of our potential in a lot of other religions, which isn't to say that, you know, they're, they're incorrect or anything like that. But I think, you know, I know that I have an appreciation for Buddhism for that reason, that we are, we have the potential to become enlightened and to attain that, that state of Buddhahood. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fundamental in our understanding of the world. I think what you said is pretty, pretty excellent. And then I would even take that further and then even bring that to some subjects of today. So like, for example, the book talks about equality and fairness. But we often hear in the political world, like this word equality often used. So why are human beings equal? Well, it's because we all equally contain a fragment of Buddha's energy within the core of our mind. And that is why we have human rights. Human rights exist because inanimate objects don't have rights, but humans are imbued with the divine presence, a divine power. And that means that we are sacred, we are noble. And that's why we have these human rights. So I said we are created by God or Buddha. That's also referred to as Buddha nature or divine nature. So I believe this gives a fundamental basis of our political philosophy as well as our modern legal theory in all Western countries that follow such, you know, laws and regulations. Yeah, absolutely, Dylan. And I think it's also important to emphasize the difference between kind of equality and fairness, mm -hmm. you know, because equality is that base point. Yes, we're all children of Buddha. We all have that fragment of Buddha within us. Uh, and I think fairness more correlates with, you know, if you put more work into something, you're going to get rewarded for that. And so that is fair. So we all have a basis of equality mm -hmm. and we are essentially all equal. But mm -hmm. the fairness element of it, that's why there is a spiritual hierarchy, because, uh, right. 
you know, it's if you're doing more work to benefit the world, then obviously you need to be higher in the hierarchy so that you can do that work. Right. You know, some people I think would even think that that's some kind of a rude or cruel way of governing the world that like maybe utilitarianism spread in the West. But actually back in Buddha's era, he taught us a uh, law of cause and effect. Uh, good causes lead to good results. Bad causes lead to bad results. Those who accumulate good deeds attain good karma, and then they will be blessed in the future. So these kinds of fundamental concepts that even pertain to our modern world originated from these ideas from a long time ago. And I think, you know, Buddha's laws have never been disproven in any case. And they will continue to remain the fundamental rules for the governance of life far into the future as well. So, you know, you said this book, it has a kind of an essence of Buddha's original teachings, but in the context of the modern day. I think that's a really good way to put it. You also read in the preface that it said that these teachings are compatible to a highly intellectualized society. And if you read this book, it almost reads like an intellectual theory, but it's completely practical in a sense that anyone can apply it. Oh, yeah, right away. <laughs> right away, right? And even, I think by reading this book, if you're in like a Buddhist class, I don't want to, you know, cause disharmony in your class, but all of a sudden you're going to know the answers more than your peers right. about like these fundamental concepts, like for example, void and egolessness. I think there are two of the most misunderstood concepts in Buddhism today. I would say so. <laughs> yeah. And could you clarify why you say so? Sure. A lot of people, it's it's a pretty popular concept um, for people just learning about Buddhism in the West. Uh, we're supposed to sort of be rid of our ego and have no ego. And, and that's, it's a misinterpretation of what that really means, you know, because you don't become characterless when you uh, lose your ego. You don't lose your individuality when you lose your ego. You're still a person. It's more that you're realizing your sense of being interconnected to everything, hmm. you know, to uh, just the, the cosmic Buddha, essentially, you know, that is everywhere pervasive. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely correct. And also, you know, we were given this divine fragment, as I mentioned earlier, as a child of Buddha. So we have that individual unique personality. That's our true self. Egolessness means is getting rid of our false self, which is based on worldly desires and attachments. So if we can understand who we are, we don't have to lose our personality. We can bring out our more authentic personality that we were provided as a created being and a being who's experienced many lifetimes through reincarnation. And we don't have to cut that off. What we're doing is just cutting off the false, vain, materialistic aspects of ourselves. That's the true meaning of egolessness. And then it's kind of to the purpose of practicing um, the Dharma and illuminating the world. Right, yeah. And, you know, furthermore, there's this concept of void, right? This is very hard to understand, I think, from a beginner's perspective. But what is this concept of void? Well, it's really this idea that matter is energy, energy is matter, spirit is matter as well because spirit is energy. So what we see in this world is a form of something which is eternal. And things never live forever in this world. Everything is always changing. The world is always changing. So there's this law that says, you know, we cannot keep anything in the same state forever. There's a law of constant change. 
There's also this idea that at the core of all physical existence is Buddha's will, is Buddha's energy. And if you go into advanced science, they will tell you that a molecule is 99.99% empty space. So why does it feel solid? Well, there's a certain expression or intention that exists underneath reality, underneath matter. That's the spiritual essence of all things. And so when we get to void, it doesn't mean that there is nothing and that we don't matter. What it means is that there is Buddha at the essence of everything. There is God at the essence of everything. This universe is spiritual. It's not made of uh, materials. You know, I've actually heard people tell me that Buddhism is just a philosophy and that Buddha didn't even believe in God, but that's total misunderstanding. Actually, Buddhism became this form of atheism because they misunderstood these two concepts I just mentioned, egolessness and void. If they understood the real meaning of these concepts, uh, they would not make that mistake of falling into the trap of atheism and uh, agnosticism. Right. And I think that's the big difference between viewing the world uh, through a religious or a spiritual lens versus viewing it through a, a nihilistic and atheistic lens. Because both are recognizing that everything in the world is subject to change. Nothing will last forever. Mm. It, but the religious lens is recognizing that Buddha or God is the catalyst behind everything that comes into existence and leaves existence. Whereas the nihilistic view is just saying that it's just meaningless, it's just coming out of you know nothing. And I think that's that second view has done a lot to corrupt the real meaning of these Buddhist teachings. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, this book is, in one sense, it's a positive book to read, but there's a lot of examples of these corruptions that we that we saw take place in Buddhism over the years. As you mentioned, one of them is uh, you know with egolessness and void. Another one that I wanted to mention is this idea that human beings are these kind of like, you know, we, we pass away and then a, a monk or a Buddhist practitioner will come and conduct a funeral service in exchange for money. And then, um, you know, over the years, we've seen things taking place. I know it's not directly mentioned in this book, but for example, there was a, a robot that started to be used in Japan to conduct memorial services because it would recite the sutras and, you know, it recited these old ancient sutras by like a MP3 file or something, right? And then, you know, people listened to it and they thought the soul would go back to heaven or even, you know, just not even think about heaven. So I think the uh, materialistic view towards death is becoming really dangerous in the modern Buddhist world. And this book teaches us what death is and then how uh, memorial services should be authentically practiced by a Buddhist monk who has a level of enlightenment that can actually save the soul of the deceased person. And that will go a long way in the future happiness of that person and their family. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think a good point to mention, you know, with the robot is I think the reason that that was probably done was because there's a misconception that our soul is somehow synonymous with our brain mm -hmm. um and you know even scientists when they look for the origin of things they generally tend to focus on the brain but really it's more connected to like our something in the center of our body you know the brain um is essentially a, a calculator or a computer much like a robot 
and that is actually guided by the soul, which is something transcendent. So when you have a robot speaking the sutras, it's like as though the only the brain was communicating, but there's no soul in that. So it can't necessarily guide the soul of another person if it's, you know, there's no interconnection. Yeah, yeah, that's that's totally true. And that also, in a way, it actually connects to another topic I wanted to mention, which is this Zen meditation. The book talks a lot about Zen meditation and the, the limits in modern Zen Buddhism. And one of them is this idea of, you know, the brain. And it's this idea of not understanding what is meditation. So meditation is not, the author Riho Kala says, the meditation is not to just sit silently thinking nothing. No, meditation has a more noble purpose. It is to allow the light of heaven to flow into us and then fill us with this divine light or this divine vibration and then receiving that as a kind of inspiration. So this, the real meaning of meditation is something so much more spiritual than I think most people are leading us to believe. In fact, there are many high spirits. There are uh, many uh, bodhisattvas or tathagatas in Buddhism. And then they are they have no one that they can send their inspiration to if everyone was materialistic. The thing is, if we are spiritual and we practice authentic meditation, after a lot of time and training and practice and discipline, we can begin to receive inspiration from these higher beings. And that is the real purpose of meditation, in a sense. Yeah, and I think, I mean, if you practice meditation, um, there does come a point where you do begin to sense that if you do it diligently. But then just having that nothingness or emptiness as the goal, it's it, it might prevent that from happening. Yeah, there's so much in here. We could talk forever. Um, one, one other topic I wanted to mention is about karma. I think this is another misunderstood point. So I've heard someone tell me in the past that they were never going to become rich because they did something bad in their past life. They, they had been told... Maybe a fortune teller or someone like that told them. And so they believed it. And essentially what Riho Kawa teaches is karma is not what you think it is. What karma is, is a soul's tendency to act in a certain way. So we tend to do something in a certain way. But this word tend, it doesn't mean we will do it in a certain way. It means we have the free will to change it. And by recognizing our soul's tendency... And then understanding our true personality and our characteristics, we can start to shape our future in a more beneficial and positive direction. So we don't have to keep repeating the same mistakes again and again. We can learn about it, overcome our ignorance. He says in this book, ignorance is, this, is the source of bad karma. Overcome our ignorance and then choose the right path with wisdom. And then we won't fall into this trap of negative karma. Yeah, and I think that is one of the great challenges of the mind that we all will uh, face in this lifetime. Right, right. That's true. Yeah, unleash your potential by overcoming your negative karma. And that's everyone's personal responsibility. You know, that's not something someone else can do for you. But it's something we're all capable of. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. That's true. Something else uh, you know, I wanted to bring up was the balance between enlightenment and spiritual powers. 
um, which there is a correlation with, um, because you know, as you become increasingly enlightened, it's probable that you may develop certain spiritual powers. Where, but at the same time, you can pursue spiritual powers, but it doesn't necessarily bring enlightenment. So the safer path for us to take is to follow the path of enlightenment, which involves having a strong sense of faith. And then if spiritual powers come, they will. If they don't, they don't. But at least we're not going to be corrupted by them. Well, was there anything you wanted to add to that, Dylan? No, I think that you stated it absolutely perfectly. So, you know, spiritual powers, it's, it's great that some people have them, but it's also much more dangerous because I can't count all the number of people who have made mistakes and then gone crazy or developed a psychosis or schizophrenia right. or something like that because of such powers. So as you mentioned, the way, the authentic way is to attain enlightenment first, and they come as a byproduct. Okay, so we, we talked about so many different things here today, and um, I think you'll, you'll really want to read this book if you want to understand these concepts deeper. So you can find this book, The Challenge of the Mind, at bookstores, including Barnes & Noble, and online at Amazon.com. You can also learn more at OkawaBooks.com. So to end today's episode, could you read just a part of the afterword of this book? Sure. I have imbued old Buddhist philosophy with new life, and these new teachings now brim with an intellectual, logical, and positive challenging spirit. I will establish this new philosophy to take the place of outdated teachings. I hope that my easy-to-understand explanations will lead old, misguided religious ideas to their final end. Religions should now be restored to the hands of the true elite, the bodhisattvas of light. The leap of progress that happy science fulfills will, indeed, mark the official coming of the age of these spiritual elites. Wow, fantastic. It was great talking to you again, John. Likewise, though. In these trying times, stay happy, healthy, and positive. <laughs>